Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone, I'm Emma and this is How Long Have You Got, the Identity Podcast. When you first meet someone, the typical question is often, where are you from? And why shouldn't people be curious about your story? It seems like an innocuous question, but for many of us, it's a loaded one. Often we respond by saying, how long have you got? Because can we really pin it down and does it matter? I'll be speaking to some great people who are quite simply doing great things. People from all walks of life who are willing to share their stories. Of life, of love, of work and more. We'll see where the stories take us and the depths we reach or the heights we attain. Grab a drink, get your walking shoes, or just find your space. How long have you gone? Hi guys, welcome to episode one of How Long Have You Got, the Identity Podcast. Wow, this is exciting. I feel like it's been a long time coming um, and our lockdown project is finally coming to life. The last year has certainly uh, been a turbulent one for many of us, um, I think to to varying degrees. Um, And I think it's certainly forced us all to think more introspectively, whether we've wanted to or not. And I think we've found out or discovered a lot more about the things that we like and the things that we don't like, whether that's our jobs, our partners, be it our husbands and wives, or our fitness regimes, or lack thereof, should I say. But I don't know about you guys. I've certainly um, had a lot of good intentions um, and idealizations about what the last year could bring into my future life, this, this podcast being being one of them, but there are certainly others. And I wonder how I actually take that next step. What do I do with all this thinking that I've done in the last year? How do I actually get to, to that, that next stage of, of, of my life or the next stage of this, this goal and this, this vision that I have? Um, but this is why we are so particularly excited to have Alan Dolan with us today, and we are launching our first episode with him. Alan is the world-renowned breathwork guru, and he'll not just be helping us um, identify our sense of clarity and purpose in life, but also what we can do to, to put it into action. Um, Alan, thank you so much for, for joining us today. And I do hope that I, I do you justice with this introduction. It's a total <laughs> pleasure, Emma. Total pleasure. So, so Alan was the first to introduce Breathwork to the UK nearly two decades ago, which is pretty incredible. Um, and he's garnered a long list of high-profile clients and students across the globe. I, I won't embarrass him by, by shouting out these names. I'm sure if you Google him, you will find out who some of these people are. And um, it's pretty incredible because, um, Alan, you had um, pursued uh, a career in, in the high-pressure world of communications, very much like myself. Um, and then you decided yeah. to break, take a sabbatical, and pursue your interest in all things metaphysical. And that is when you were introduced to the wonders of breathwork. And I think it's safe to say that you have never looked back and you currently run your retreat in the Canary Islands. We can all see this wonderful palm tree in the breeze. And the key message is that you are the guru and your breath is the key. Exactly, Emma. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a total pleasure. Total pleasure. And you've nailed it. You've you've said the key thing, which is you are the guru, your breath is the key. So, you know, sometimes that gets misinterpreted and uh, people are like, oh, breath guru, you know, is it like a cult or something or do they, does he want disciples? And it's, it's very much the opposite of that. I think for me, breath is the ultimate uh, self-empowerment tool. And it, it certainly did that for me. And, and when I found it, I was just so blown away that I wanted to share it. And the rest, as they say, is history, you know. And I think the other thing about breath is is that people have very low expectations. <laughs> you know, I remember being offered the, the, the uh, it was like a free session. 
Yeah. I was do, doing a yoga teacher training and this, these two guys were qualified and they were like, oh, we'd love to give the group, you know, uh, a free um, intro. And I was like, mm, I'm a yogi, baby. What have you got to teach me about breath? You know, I do all my pranayama. And I was really ungracious, actually, I have to say. Anyway, 45 minutes later, the world had radically shifted and I had radically shifted um, in that I'd had a connection to the center of my being, whatever you choose to call that, I call it God, but it doesn't really matter what you call it, uh, that just blew my doors off. I mean, it blew my doors off. And I was a full-on yogi at that point. I was doing the Shtanga. I was really, you know, devout with it. I was doing it every day, a couple of times at weekends. And this just took me further in 45 minutes than I'd been in all of that time with yoga. So it was, it was like, you have my attention. Yeah. What are we going to do with this, you know? And, um, and I thought, well, you know, the, the obvious thing to do is my previous job, as you rightly said, was in communication. So I thought, well, how come I don't know about this? If this is so amazing, and it, it really did, it, it literally changed my life. Uh, I'd lived with depression for 28 years. I was so disconnected. I didn't know that. And the very first thing it told me was, you've been depressed since you were 13, 14. And I was, you know, I was almost 40 at that point. And I was just like, what? But you know when you hear truth sometimes and it resonates in every cell, it's not like an intellectual knowing. It's more, it's like a bodily knowing. You know that this is the truth. And I just knew. I'm just going to adjust that a little bit. The sun's going down. So, um, so I was like, holy shit. And then it said, it, like my inner knowing said, and you can cure it. And I did. And it took me three months of breathing every day. And I, I should have had shares in Kleenex. I cried a lot. There was a lot of emotional content that needed to come and be processed or reprocessed. And at that point, I knew it was gone. And, and I just sort of, I couldn't believe it. It was like, wow, you know, how powerful is this? And, and why doesn't everybody know about it? So that was when the communications thing came in. And I just thought, well, you know, why not? You know, nothing's ever wasted. I'm a real believer in like everything we've ever experienced in our life journey is useful it's given us something and clearly pr experience was super useful because nobody in the uk was really talking about it there were a couple of people doing it but nobody really knew and it's it, the, in california it's a little bit further on in the states it's a wee bit further on but europe it was very little holland was was uh, sort of further than the uk germany too but in uk it was really beginner stuff so i just hammered the press absolutely hammered it had a really good pr and together we uh, we rocked it, and uh, you know, and it was really from from that point of like people were sort of like you know they were either very skeptical, like you know, uh, I used to talk to London cabbies and always tell them what I did, and I thought they were a sort of a good marker of the zeitgeist, oh, agree. you know. And I love the London cabbies. Oh, yeah, they are, and they just you know they'll tell you what they think. And I used to tell them what I did. I made a point of taking a cab and I made a point of telling them what I did. And they would always be in hysterics. And they'd just be like, wow, what a great scam. You're selling oxygen. That's incredible. And, uh, and you know, my family, bless them, who, you know, obviously I love them dearly, but they just didn't get it. You know, they were like, okay, so you're leaving this successful job in Saudi Arabia and you're going to build a business based on oxygen. And it was that, like, he's losing his marbles, you know. And, of course, I knew I had no doubt at all. I knew it was, you know, for me, the work has always been a five-star from the word. It's used my powers of PR to educate people, and that's what we've done. And, of course, you know, 17 years down the line now, it's super trendy. Everybody the newbies. I'm now training people to go out there and do it, which is just pure joy. And... Um, and really, it's, it's almost like a repetition of what happened with yoga. You know, that whole thing of like the early adopters sure. were kind of hippie vegans from Goa. And now it's, you know, everybody. So, um, so I love that because that was, that was my intention. The original intention was take this to as many people as possible. And I'm just so... Um, and then there was a second intention, which was what would happen if you put people in a really beautiful environment and you did breath work with them and maybe gave them like super lovely, clean, uh, vegan food 
and it was in a beautiful, you know, surroundings, and they had body work every day, and then we did, you know, maybe two uh, breathwork sessions a day. How would that be? So I've actually created that, and that's the retreat. And I'm a bit of an intensity bunny, so I'm also an Aries, and we don't like to hang around. We like to get stuff done, and we like kind of rapid. I personally like to see rapid results, tangible results, and that's one of the things I love about working with breath is that you're different from the word go. So when we started to do that and bring people in, then we started to get these amazing results. You know, look, you, you've clearly built this wonderful uh, empire, and, and I hope I don't use, you know, empire um, in an, you know, insensitive way. But I, if I just nice. go to sort of 17, 18 years ago, when, you know, you say you were starting out and your family were, were questioning your um, intentions about essentially selling air. And was it a bit of... Yeah. How did that, how did that make yeah. And, and I think, you know, Alan, we, that's one question. And we, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, you, you did mention to me as well, it, was, it wasn't just this pivotal moment of sort of trying to convince, or convince might be the wrong word, but sort of speak to your family about you mm. thing to sell air, follow your, your intentions, but also you, you were married. Um, you, yeah, yeah. As, as gay. Or yeah, yeah. So, that were, so I think that needs to kind of backtrack a little bit. So. Irish Roman, Irish Roman Catholic, Irish immigrant parents, Roman Catholic, working class boy, uh, bright, um, uh, Catholic educated, Christian brothers educated, um, extremely, extremely sad, extremely sensitive. Mm -hmm. Everything around me was saying, don't be you, basically. And I bought that. I bought into that. So I closed down. And in fact, I think I disassociated quite a lot. Just because, um, particularly, you know, my mum had mental health issues. Uh, she wasn't a well person. She'd had a pretty horrific experience when she was very young that was not treated. Um, the school was run on fear. I mean, you know, it was just, it was not a great place to be. And I just didn't feel safe being me. It was like, it wasn't okay to be me. So I decided not to be. So, um, and that was really when the depression kicked in, I think, around that sort of early teens thing, as if teens aren't difficult enough as it is. You know, you've got this sort of burgeoning sexuality. Um, you've got an emotionally, mentally disturbed mother, and you've got this horrific school that you're going to, which is sadistic. I mean, sadism is just all over the place. So, um, so I just pulled the plug and uh, in order to protect myself, and it worked, you know. But the consequence of that was... I, I didn't really know who I was. I had a lot of fear around being me. And I had, I think, a lot of self-hatred and self-loathing. I think I kind of blamed myself, like it's your fault. There's yeah. something wrong with you, you know. And, um, and unfortunately, I knew no better. And I didn't really have any, I had friends and stuff and people that I love and still love, you know, dearly, like at university. I didn't come out at university. and. Uh, it wasn't until, uh, you know, I left university and most people would go, you know, get the job in London or whatever. I went to Africa. Yeah. You know, does that show you how far away I wanted to get? You know, I didn't go to like Birmingham or London. I'm from Manchester. I went to Sudan, yeah. you know, and looking back at it, it makes me laugh now because it was like, holy shit, that was, you know, that was pretty clear. And I just, I needed to get out of that whole environment and just find out who I was and, and uh, after a year in Sudan, um, I was traveling with my best friend at the time, Richard, and uh, we decided we would go for contrast. So we went to Bangkok. So, you know, and I remember my dad saying before I left, you know, oh, this is just a sort of flash in the pan. You'll be back a year later. And I was like, you have no idea. I am never coming back to this. I'm just not. It was a dysfunctional setup for me. So, um, so we went to Bangkok and of course, Bangkok at 23, you know, Sin City. So it was very, let's put it this way, it was very exploratory. Yeah. But it, I didn't really do any self-exploration. It was more like sex, drugs, rock and roll. Yeah. So I ended up falling in love with a woman uh, who I still love, you know. She's an amazing woman. But this is crazy, you know, I'm a gay man. But complete denial. I was sort of telling myself I was bisexual. That was... a crock and um and we ended up being together for five years and it wasn't really until 
um, I came back to London. It was 28. If you know anything about astrology, 28 to 32, as I know you do, is a big thing. It's your Saturn return. And that's when you do these major shifts. I had no clue. I mean, I was fast asleep. I had no idea, no interest in... You know, I'd, I'd lived in China for five years. My flatmate was studying with like a, a Qigong master, you know, and I had was down the pub every night, you know, <laughs> drinking beers and dancing. And uh, it's so ironic, you know. Um, so very long story short, got back to, to London and something shifted for me at that point. And I, I, I got this sort of flash of the future and I saw pain in both my and my wife's future. And I sat down with her and had a chat. And at the end of it, we didn't have a marriage anymore. And, um, and it was a great decision because we were both 28. We were, it was early enough. She's now married, she remarried, strangely enough to a guy called Alan. And they've now got three kids and they're very happy, you know? So it was, it was it, I don't feel any regret about that whatsoever. And uh, maybe I, it needed to get that extreme to push me to the point where I would wake up and actually smell the coffee. So at that point, um, I fell in love. Uh, and I fell in love with a, a guy who was wide awake spiritually. I was asleep. I was a Marxist at that point, if that gives you any idea as to how asleep I was. You know, I had no, I thought the whole spirituality thing, I think because of the Roman Catholicism, I'd kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And I just assumed that all spirituality was bunkum, you know. Anyway, very long story short, I was in love, met this great guy. We're in Key West in the States, and it was the, the summer solstice. And I had this awakening. Mm. And, uh, and he kind of knew, and he sort of set it up, really. Um, and then I guess Grace did the rest. But I had this awakening where I realized that what I'd been seeing was I'd missed the dimension. I totally missed the spiritual dimension. And it was, it was a big one for me. And I got a sort of, you could say, maybe people talk about downloads. Yeah. I realized that, you know, we are eternal. Uh, I realized that we were God, that we are God. Everything is. Um, and I, I'll never, it was the most surprising thing I've ever seen in my life. Because I, I, I genuinely love this guy. It was selfless, open-hearted. I was looking at him. And suddenly the light went on for me and I was like, holy shit, he's divine. He's a divine being. Oh my God, so am I. Oh my God, so is everybody. It was so funny. And when I said like, it was almost like little cartoon brackets came up and went, you know, he's God. And then these cartoon brackets came up and went in training, close brackets. <laughs> in other words, we've got the potential, yeah. but, but we don't necessarily live it. So, where so that was really the beginning. Where's this guy now? He was still friends. He's still in the States. Um, and we were together for a couple of years. And he basically was very, sort of very experienced, very wise soul. And he basically kind of patted me on the head and said, you need to go and explore. You need to go and explore who you are and find out. And, uh, and he was right. You know, he was absolutely right. I was mortified, of course, because I'd expected, um, you know, cottage roses rocking chairs you know i was the white horse say again no the the white horse moment so to speak is so well yeah you know and it's it's it, he was just a lot wiser than me he'd lived a lot more than i had and uh i in a way i i felt like i went back to almost like adolescence and had to sort of relearn the stuff that i didn't learn first time around it was a bit like being an adolescent again, I was very naive in terms of relationships. I had a lot to learn there. So uh, that was the beginning. But ridiculously, you know, within a, kind of a month or so of coming out, because I came out to my friends and family at that point as well, it was like in for a penny, in for a pound. I got a job in the Middle East. And of course, the Middle East isn't known for its, um, you know, tolerance for, for gay people. So um, I got a job in Bahrain and within about three months that company had been bought and they said if you want your job to you know to continue with your job you need to move to Saudi Arabia which is like the least gay friendly place on the planet but I ended up staying there 10 years would you believe and um very long story but basically I started my own company and at that point I had 55 employees and I wasn't prepared to just walk out on that so um but what that did was my stress levels began to rise and that led me to yoga 
which then led me to like, wow, I need to shift. I really need to change because the yoga was getting more and more and more interesting. And my job was getting less and less and less interesting. And that's where we, we sort of started at this gap year and, and finding breath, you know, and I had no clue really. Um, I just knew I needed to recalibrate and something needed to change in terms of my path. I, I didn't like where it was going to lead me. And, um, and I just said to the universe, make it really obvious. Don't make it subtle, make it super obvious. And I went off and did a yoga teacher training, which was my insurance policy nothing else i'll open a yoga retreat there weren't that many then and literally eight weeks after leaving uh Riyadh, i i found breathwork and it was thunderbolt city i mean i just knew from that first 45 minute session uh, which was a group session there wasn't even really a lot of facilitation but i think sometimes grace or pretty much always grace moves you know and it it moved me that day and um and i realized that you know my mom and dad sort of you know, maybe sort of slight leanings towards, will he be a priest, you know? Be like, no way, you know, all the priests I knew were sons of bitches. So there was no way that was going to happen. But I realized that I'd found a vocation and it was very clear to me. Uh, it, there was just no ambiguity whatsoever. I'd realized that this was what I was here to do. And uh, consequently, you know, built Breath Guru. Well, so, so it sounds like, gosh, I mean, what a story, hey? Um, and uh, all of that in, gosh, under 10 minutes, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> that was the expurgated version. Oh. I kept it really clean as well. Um, but, but it sounds like Guy and the summer solstice was in many respects yeah. eureka moment, so to speak. Yeah. And I guess if we compare, um, you know, how, how do you think people are, or do people have a eureka moment? Does everyone have a eureka moment? How are they meant to? what their calling is um i think look you know last year for sure we've we've had an opportunity a very unique opportunity that has has forced us to think more about what it yeah. is tick yeah. is is that necessarily the eureka moment do we all have it yeah it's a it's a great question i think it happens in different ways for different people with me it was thunderbolt i just knew with that instant you know it was just it changed changed everything um, and I think for some people it happens like that and they do get those light bulb moments of just great illumination. And for other people, it's a much more gradual process. Um, and for others, and you know, it's both. You get, you know, you get different points. I've had a few kind of light bulb moments, but mostly it's been a sort of a gradual unfolding. And, um, you know, particularly now with the, the whole, you know, the last 12 months, most of us have been locked down depending on where we live. So that's on the, on the one hand seems disastrous. And on the other hand, there's some really positive things that have come out of it, you know, and I've heard a lot of people saying, oh, I've really rethought how I'm going to do life post lockdown. You know, for most people, it's about quality of life. They realize that they were racing chasing the tails and they're really actually liking the slower pace and having more space so so that in itself i think is super useful because as humans i don't think we were meant to work as we were you know my schedule was nuts you know and i teach this stuff but i was on planes and stuff all over the place and that's going to change i'm not going to do that anymore um i have switched the business online so it's now digital um it's you know, people that I've worked with for a long time are saying they're actually getting even better results online, which is great. They don't have to leave their their home, you know. And I think it's to do with feeling safe. I think, uh, you know, when you're in your nest, you're, you're, you can relax more as opposed to being in a group with like 50 other people you've never met before. So, um, so there's really, you know, every cloud really does have a silver lining. And I think one of the main things uh, it's done is slowed us down. And I think the other thing we were talking about it just prior to coming into the recording was this idea of disillusionment. Yes. So a lot of people are coming in saying they're feeling disillusioned. And that is a very interesting word be to me because it, it means you're, you're kind of stepping out of the illusion. And it was illusory. You know, we have to be in the office 60 hours a week. We have to do this, that, and the other. We don't. That was the choice. And that was a kind of a, a sort of a culturally um, when I was sanctioned way of being 
but it's not the only way of being. So people are seeing that the things they thought were really solid are melting. The facades that were there are coming down and they're getting to see things a bit more clearly. And I think it can be quite shocking when that happens if you don't have a sort of an internal reference point. Um, so I've got a really great friend, somebody I love very much, known him for a long, long time. And um, his, his thing was really about uh, work. His, his energy and attention was put on work. And he's now um, at a point where he's just sort of retiring, really. And he's realizing he's got no internal reference point. He loves the arts. He loves so that's great for him. But his anchor, if you like, was, was related very much to, uh, to the job title and to the work that he absolutely loved to do. And now he's got this opportunity and he's taking it, thankfully. And he's going inside to, to explore a little bit more about, well, who am I? without that, you know? And I think that's just a beautiful, beautiful process. And um, I, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing, because I think he's going to be blown away when yeah. he actually finds out, you know? And I, I'm, I think maybe that's happening to a lot of us in different ways right now. We're getting an opportunity to go more deeply and we've got more space and time to do that. And yeah. certainly that's what's happened for me. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, sure. I think that's a, that's a, a really nice segue into, um, you know, part of the conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago about um, a recent client of yours who came from, you know, so the financial services sector, a C-suite individual who had completely pivoted her life to become a yeah. therapist. And yeah. I just wonder, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. People are, um, um, are, are making different decisions or wanting to make different decisions, um, probably more yeah. than ever. Um, yeah. What do you think is, is, is the turning point for people to make these decisions? Do you think it's, you know, a search for happiness? Do you think it's a misalignment, a want for more, a, an escape? You talk about an escape in your own personal narrative, or, or is, it, is it something yeah. else? Or do you think we can pin it down to something? It's going to be really individual, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. Everybody wants to be happy. I mean, you could go at that level. Yeah. And so we all want happiness. We all want happiness. We want to feel content you know, with how, with what we've got and how we're doing it. But I think the way into that might look really different. So for some people, it might be a terminal diagnosis that just shocks them into like, holy shit, I've got a year left to live. What am I going to do with that year? For others, it's not so dramatic. Most of us, happily, it's not informed like that. And we get an opportunity more. For me, it was more, um, it was kind of gradual. Uh, what you want at 20 isn't what you want at 40. You know, at 20, I wanted a Porsche 911, a couple of houses and a fat bank account, frankly. A hot uh, four... <laughs> Say again. A I still like Porsches. <laughs> that hasn't changed. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, but I drive a Nissan and it's absolutely fine. You know, but it's that thing of, uh, as we develop and we mature, we just realize a bit more values change. You know, uh, uh, my thing now is I simply want to uh, enjoy and savor every moment that I have because it is a terminal diagnosis, all of us. We don't know when it's going to end. And, and especially now when you have something like this sort of, uh, you know, the health thing going on at the moment, particularly with respiratory health, you know, um, it just brings you into sharp relief. And it's like, I don't want to waste a second of this existence. I really don't. Um, and I want to sort of, derive maximum juiciness if you like that's kind of how i frame it uh and i do you know i don't waste it i do and that doesn't necessarily mean i'm out you know doing things achieving or whatever not at all it it might be you know today i just put on loads of my favorite tracks and sort of bounced around my room a bit i did a you know one hour meditation uh it's a day off today for me more or less and uh and just took in nature you know i happen to live in a very beautiful part of the world lucky enough to do that so so I don't feel this need, this like driving ambition before that has gone, actually. Um, and it doesn't mean I don't want to do stuff. It just means I'm approaching it differently. I don't feel the need to push anymore. I realize that there's a natural flow of life. And if I can just get in that flow, it will propel me and things will come as they're meant to. And, and part of that is just trust of that sort of illusory idea of like control. Uh, you know, and, and that, that I think is a common theme for a lot of us yes. who've been brought up 
you know, saying you've got to control the externals yeah. uh, in order to be okay. And that's actually, that's not true. It's the opposite. If you want to change the outside, you've got to work inside. Otherwise, it's just deck chairs on the Titanic, you know, and they're in pretty patterns, but actually there's still a hole in your hole. Fix the hole and then, you know. I think that's a really valid point though, Alan. You know, I think this 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 uh, sort of concept or idea of, of flow and wanting to, to do more and drive, drive, drive. I mean, if I think back to my own experiences in the last um, 12 months, um, the last year in particular was very turbulent. You know, I lost my job very suddenly before the furlough scheme yep. was, was introduced. Um, I had yep. to be, be very quick on my feet and thinking about what I was going to do next. I, I set up my own yep. business pretty much. Overnight, um, I broke up with my boyfriend who was living in another city at the time. Um, my parents and family were not here. I felt very much alone um, mentally and physically. And it was very much, you know, a time to hustle. And I sort of came back with this renewed sense of energy once I sort of my clients were coming in and I was regaining my, my, my confidence. Um, you know, January yeah. up now has been an amazing period. It's, it's really incredible what you can do when you set your mind to something. That yeah. said, it has however, been very much this go, 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 go. I've been working six yeah. days a week. I mean, a big part of it has been, um, you know, um, my contract that I'm, I'm currently um, tied to, which comes to an end in the next couple of weeks. But the other part has been this wonderful mm. podcast, which is, is, is great, but it, it takes time. And then on top of that, there are other things, you know, in your personal life. I actually found out today, sure. jumping on this call, that my mom's diagnosed with cancer. And wow. Yeah and, yeah. and you know, but you know, this is life and I think you're absolutely right. If 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 COVID has certainly taught me that take one thing at a time because you just don't know I know it sounds cliche saying this, you don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring and take each day as it comes, but really take each day as it comes. Um sure. you just you just don't know. Um and uh, yeah. Yeah, I think but I mean that's if if there's one thing it's taught us it's that it's it, to be present. No? It's it's taught us to so, be present. It's taught us. You're absolutely right. And I think you know I was just going to caveat this by saying and sort of throwing the question back to you. In the process last year, it made me. I don't know if spiritual is the right word, but I personally have become much more invested in in breath work and breathing. Mm -hmm. sort of, uh, and I just wonder, you know, what like when did do you have to be a spiritual person or how you, don't, you, you, you dropped this term spiritual masturbation, you know, when we spoke a, a couple of weeks ago, right. which I love, I found yeah. it funny, but very, very apt, you know, where people are like, Oh, I do yoga and I breathe and I meditate, but actually yeah. if you're putting these practices into, into, um, um, your everyday, then how, yeah. how valid is it? And, that, and that's it, you know, so, so for me, really when people come in and you know i have a lot of clients who will come in and say i'm here for the physical benefits um i, I don't want the spiritual bit thank you very much and i'll just be like okay then great you know um and it'll come anyway so to me it's a bit of a redundant phrase you know i am spiritual i'm not spiritual we are spirit that's our that's our nature you know um it's not an opinion <laughs> it's it's fact but you can't know that intellectually it has to come by direct experience so you can read all the books you want but until you've experienced it as your truth it's academic it's cognitively understood not uh, somatically understood you know so uh, that's why i love yoga and I, I love all the stuff that's out there because they're all different ways in i call it facets of the diamond you know um but of course when something for example yoga is a pretty good uh, example maybe uh, it becomes popularized. So then it can kind of lose sort of really the inherent meaning, which is it's an exploration, exploration of identity, and it's an exploration of presence, among other things. So when it becomes, and I'm, you know, when it's sort of being done down the gym and like, you know, it's that bit kind of isn't really there anymore and it's more like aerobics, then great it's aerobics it's fine and it's not less or more spiritual but i guess what i'm saying is that the 
the kind of beauty of it and the really kind of the seed or the kernel of it can sometimes get lost in translation. And for me, really, if, if whatever you're doing isn't making a difference in terms of how you're just doing life, then that's where that phrase uh, spiritual masturbation came up. Because um, what's the point? Yeah. What's the point if it just becomes an academic subject that you're not really, it's not actually changing anything. You know, um, yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in just kindness and how we're treating one another, you know, and am I, am I being compassionate or am I being a son of a bitch, you know, and I have my days, believe me, you know, I'm human. Um, it's not like you stop being human, you don't, but it makes you more human, I think. It, may, it allows you to kind of drop more into your humanity. Um, so for me, really, I, there's nothing more fascinating than exploring who and what we are. And that's what all these things do. They allow you to come in and explore, just like your experience with breath work. You know, you've learned since you began to do it. You've learned some stuff about yourself. That's the whole point. It's all about learning uh, about who we are, our true identity. So, um, so yeah, I, and, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. You know, I, at 20, as I say, you know, or 23 it was by the time I got to China, surrounded by all these people studying Qigong, studying Kung Fu, and da, 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 you know, and it was just, whew, it just wasn't my time. I had zero interest. And even, bless him, the guy that I shared a, an apartment with was this really, really devout Qigong um, and Kung Fu with this amazing, like, maestro, really. And the very last day when he was leaving, I'd known him for about oh, three or four years at this point, he's like, you've never asked me about it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, not really that, you know. And he's like, come on, I'm going to show you. And he took me up on the roof of the apartment. He did two things, which completely blew my doors off he had five house bricks and he did a little breath practice and then he tapped and they were stacked one on top of the other he tapped the top one and the middle one disintegrated into dust and i was just like whoa that's impossible but i just watched it happen and then he did another one which was a block of wood with a huge knot in it like you wouldn't have been able to do it with a hammer and he got a six inch nail and tapped it through the knot with his hand like the back of his hand and not with like bang 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 i mean tap 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 and and he didn't say anything <laughs> he just smiled at me and that was it and that was the beginning really because that was impossible i just seen two impossible things happen and that started a train of thought which i'm quite a curious fellow or i am now that started that curiosity and that led me so in a way he was like the initial catalyst for that um so you know to me again that's grace it's just it's your time and now you're here to you, you it's your wake-up time you know yeah. and there are people who are awake and there are people who are asleep and there's various degrees of being asleep and being awake you know and it's not better or worse there's no hierarchy it's flat you know um i don't i think you know it doesn't feel like i'm superior to anybody it feels very flat. When I meet a client, I'm completely uh, engaged with that client because I'm kind of curious as to why we're working together and what they've got to teach me uh, or a relationship or yeah. sitting next to somebody on a bus or whatever it is, you know. So, so I love that. So um, it sounds like, no pun intended, but this was sort of, you know, hitting the nail on the head, so to speak. This was yeah. one of those moments, one of those sort of, yeah, the moment for sure. Solstice, um, you know, this was also one of those moments. But it's interesting because it ties back to, you know, the theme of this episode, which is how do people not just find their sense of clarity and purpose, but how do they actually take action? Yeah. And yeah. it is, as you say, maybe, maybe their time has not yet come. Maybe they are waiting to see what they can do with their thoughts and ideas and their their um, intuitions or premonitions or manifestations, whatever you want to call them. Maybe they yeah. don't call them those things. Um, but perhaps, I think we do also live in a society and a culture where we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. I mean, especially in large metropolitan cities yeah. like London, where it's like, do, 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 more, 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 produce, produce, produce. Yeah. If you're not doing this, then you're, yeah. not, you're not achieving this. And, 
maybe it's actually yeah. it's just these 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 moments well, letting us actually totally be there's, there's two things really one is I, i'm a big believer in divine timing so we can have egoic timing i, I started breath guru and i had my business plan you know i still had that sort of commercial head and I had my business plan. It was three and a half years. We'll be at the top of the marketing curve. Mm. I'm like, well, you know, it didn't work out like that at all. Seven years later, I was getting my first press. So, and and when I got that, it was big as well. It was a bit hit big when it hit. So I'd had seven years of uh, being broke basically because I put everything. I sold my house, everything into it, and and learning kind of learning my art. So that when it got to the point where it blew up, then I was ready. I was really ready. Had it happened uh, point, you know, year 3.5, according to the business plan, I don't think I would have had the emotional maturity or maybe spiritual maturity to deal with it in the same way, you know. So I'm a big believer in that. And then the other thing which you pointed out was this thing of, you know, um, go, 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 go. It has to be now, da, 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 da. That isn't how nature works, and we are very definitely, most certainly, part of nature. So if you notice how the seasons work, they, they change gradually, as do we. So, you know, your transition sounded like quite yang. You know, you're like, right, I'm on it, doing this, 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 this. Great, there's nothing wrong with that. And there's an alternative way to do it. You know, I totally get why you would have... I've got no, you know, of course you wouldn't. So, but there is another way to do it. And that's really to allow the fluxiness. And um, I, I work a lot with people who are looking for the next chapter. They know one chapter's over and they know there's another one, but they don't know what that new one looks like yet. And part of it is really allowing that fluxiness. And, and we're globally, we're in flux right now, you know. Um, and the one that always gets talked about is the butterfly, you know, the caterpillar. So the caterpillar deconstitutes into imaginal cells, into a soup of cells, really, but they're called imaginal cells, and then it reconstitutes into the butterfly. And for me, really, globally now, and just as a species, we're in this sort of chrysalis, and we are transforming, you know, um, and we will emerge as butterflies, you know, we'll emerge as something different as a result of our experiences so that cannot be rushed you can't you know force that through and i think that's the biggest thing really that i i work with people on is to really just allow things to unfold and to really the thing i can help people with i believe is to uh help them to to connect with their center and once they connect with their center that sort of it's almost like um, my image of it is they plug into the planet and then they're really resourced and they're really grounded and they're really embodied. So they're much less in their heads and they're much more in their sort of intuitive way of feeling and thinking. And that's a great way to go forwards. You know, it's a very balanced way because normally, of course, mind is, is tops and the intuition is kind of down here. We might use it intermittently. But when it's really in balance, perfect. We need our left brain rational but we also really need our, our intuitive aspect. And frankly, you know, my left brain, my ego has got me into all sorts of stuff. My intuition has never, ever stood me wrong, ever, even when it seems really logical. So, um, and that's the great thing, that the more you use it, the more you trust it, and then the more it comes into balance. So I think that's, that's generally really what I'm doing with people is I'm, I'm plugging them in, if you like, or making them more aware of their ever-present connection with um, their true identity and with nature and creation and the planet. So it sounds like you're recentering people to, to, to a degree, yeah. call it that. Yeah, yeah, embodying. embodying. Yeah. yeah, you know, a breath work for me is, is a somatic psychotherapy. So it's a bodily-led form of psychotherapy as opposed to a cognitively-led. So whether if we work together, whether I know everything about your backstory or nothing about your backstory makes absolutely no difference to the outcome mm -hmm. because I'm not doing anything to you. Your body is uh, leading the way and I'm observing that and then assisting you accordingly. And you're there to provide the fuel, you know, your breath and everything else is being done by your innate wisdom. And we're very, very, you know, we're wise beings. Yeah. But a lot of the time, we're not connected to that wisdom. And that's what I love about the breath. It's a bridge. 
connects us to all the different parts of our being. Yeah. So that, that's interesting. You, you talk about sort of, you know, um, integration, connecting to this wisdom. Um, hmm. What keeps you up at night, Alan? What keeps me up at night? Do you mean, do I still, do well, I still get, I, I just want Have I still got ambitions, you mean? Well, or, no, I mean, I think, you know, you... Or worries, or...? Well, just generally, maybe, maybe not necessarily worries, but what is it that, that... What keeps your mind... What do you find difficult to keep at bay in terms of your thoughts? Oh, I see. You okay, that's a great question, and it's quite a searching one. I've never really been asked that before. So there's two things that come to mind when you say that, and one of them is uh, I woke up a couple of weeks ago with anxiety, and I was a bit like, what? You know, I teach this stuff. <laughs> it was a bit, you know, there's a sort of an arrogance there, like, why is it happening to me? And it was good for my humility because it reminded me that I was still human and that it doesn't matter how much work you've done, the ocean is still the ocean and you're still going to get the waves. And I'm quite good at surfing those waves now, but obviously not perfect at surfing them because there was something rocking around there for me. And I literally woke up with that butterflies in the stomach and the heart beating and all of that and it was um it was quite sobering and i great you know i've got the tools so i just went into my breath processed it brilliant but it was a bit of a wake-up call to me that you can't get complacent no matter how much work you've done you don't stop being human and i think in a way you become more human you become you drop more into your humanity so that's that one. And then what keeps me up at night? What I'm working on, to be very honest with you, what I'm working on at the moment is relationships, as in uh, personal relationship, partnered relationships. Um, and I think that's been one of my themes this time around, particularly because of um, kind of how I was brought up. There was a lot of shame around sexuality and shame around self, you know, and I beat myself up a lot. I had a really bad relationship with myself for a long, long time. And I've worked on that a lot. And I am really happy with what I've done with my relationship with myself. Um, I'm a lot more forgiving these days. I'm a lot more compassionate with myself. I see my innocence. I see my purity. I see my uh beauty if you like i see my good intentions uh my kindness i can see all that and i don't apologize for that that's who i am and um and there's no sort of false modesty there you know i'm an aries we're not known for our modesty are we um so so i really see myself now and i really i feel like i've still got work to do in terms of it's an ongoing thing really to keep that relationship um in what I would call a kind of a, a, a sort of nurture it and continue to work with it. Because I still have my days when I beat myself up or I maybe, you know, my inner talk isn't particularly uh, great. But generally, it's like it's, it's galaxies away from what it was. So then it's like, okay, so where's the guy? <laughs> you know? And, uh, and I've had a couple, I've had three, I've been in love three times, um, 57 now. And I fell in love um, when I was 28. And then again, when I came to the island twice, and both times on the island, it was the same type of person I was choosing, essentially, a person who was quite um, unavailable. And I read a book last year. Emotionally unavailable. Emotionally, emotionally unavailable, I would say. And, and like, hadn't really, not willing to go into intimacy. And I think it was very much, from my point of view, a very safe bet, you know. And uh, I, I read a book last year called Attached. I don't know if you've ever come across that. I have. Oh, okay. So that, again, blew my doors off. I could just see myself in the, it. Basically, it highlights three patterns, the kind of normal relating pattern, uh, anxious relating pattern, and an avoidant. And I just saw myself in the anxious one, and I saw how it related to the previous relationships I'd had. And, um, and what it's done is it's completely turned it around. So I'm in a dating phase at the moment. And I've, I've had, say I've had about three dates this year, like three dinner dates. And it's just amazing. I'm having such a great time. The fear and the anxiety has been replaced with curiosity. Like, I've got no clue whether we're going to get along. I've got no clue whether, what the relationship's going to be. But I'm really curious to find out. And, uh, and that's sort of how I'm approaching them now. Whereas I think before I had an agenda of like, 
is this the one? Yeah. You know, is it the one? And this is first date. You know, <laughs> I'm already kind of ticking boxes. And it's, I'd say the angst has gone and the fear has gone, really. And it's just been replaced with, I'm genuinely curious. And I've met a couple of really nice guys. Uh, and, you know, uh, one of them, it was sort of, it became pretty clear to me that we were just very, very different worldviews. Very nice guy, but it, it, not somebody that I would really want to build a friendship with. Yeah. Second guy, lovely, heading off to Australia to start a new life. Like, hmm, okay. <laughs> you know, we spoke for like, we've been out for a couple of days and had some lovely you times. Fiber, you have fiber optics Wi-Fi now, Alan. So you know, I do. Relationship. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, well, funny enough, that one was a bit of a turning point for me because I was, we were sitting there the second day, we were at a restaurant, we were by the ocean, and I realized that like our trajectories were just completely different. I'm kind of really happy with what I've set up here. I'm, you know, I'm kind of on the home straight, I feel. You know, I've done a lot of work, I've achieved what I want to achieve in terms of, uh, you know, the business, the ideals I had, and now I want to do more kind of, let's say, maybe philanthropic work. I'm interested in mental health. And he's just, he's at that 40 point where he's kind of going out and like he wants to change his life and he's moving to the other side of the world. And I, I just had this moment of like, wow, I'm so grateful to be here with you today and just have this amazing experience with you. We get along amazingly well. And and yes, our, our lives are going in completely different directions and it makes no difference because it's still very beautiful to be connected to you. Um, so, so yeah, I'd say that's probably, I don't think it's keeping me up at nights anymore, but I'd say that's my work in progress right now. I, I'm, I'm really looking at relationships. I'd really like to um, have a partner and be able to share things. I'm just doing up the retreat at the moment. And um, I've just bought it, actually. I bought it in November last year, so that's a huge milestone for me, you know, big commitment. And we've had builders in, and they've done a great job, and it's being modernized. And uh, and at the end of each day, I'd kind of be like, you know what, it'd be really nice to sort of share this with somebody and, and like, talk about, you know, what's going on and blah, blah, blah. And I, it, there was, like, an element of loneliness to that. Mm. And uh, it... It's not ever present for sure, but I just realized that the, the kind of shared experience and shared plans would be something really nice to experience. And I haven't really had that. Um, so that's something that's sort of in my sights. Well, I, I, I can totally relate with you on that one. I'm, I'm 33, 34 this summer. Um, I... I always say that I would love to find somebody to share my happiness with. I'm not looking for yeah. to complete me by any means. I <laughs> uh, you know, touch wood, feel like I, I live a yeah. happy life. I have a wonderful yeah. family, good friends, um, a, a, a job, yeah. which is great, um, and hobbies that I'm pursuing for for the first time, which is which is wonderful. But I think I think you're right. It is it is um, um, it's one of those things that you just have to sort of be open to. Um, I'm actually, funnily enough, reading um, attached at the moment. So let's ah. let's see what my attachment style is, and let's see how cool. Yeah, I know. It's, All right. It's well, it will. It will change how you do relationship. Literally, it changes how you do relationship for the better. So there's one for our readers, I guess. Attached. Yeah. You need to get just, to change. Just do. It's yeah. uh, it's amazing, and um, you know, and the other part is surrender. So um, you know, it's different for you. You're 33. You know, I'm sort of 57. I'm knocking on a bit now. You know. Um, I've I've kind of planned to be here till at least eighty-eight. That's sort of like my working number. It's it's kind of um, I, what I've said is to the universe. Really, it's about surrendering. And I'm like, I know you know what I'd like. I know that I've told you in spades what I'd like. You know, and for me, really, it's not so much um, like a type anymore i'm interested in kindness as we've talked about before that's a really big one for me there are physical markers that kind of some you know some things turn me on more than others but but the universe knows it so i don't get into the how the how isn't my job my job is to be present and see who comes across 
you know, my, my, my path. And, um, and I, I approached everything like that, really. The how isn't really it. Like, I've got an intention now to do some work, kind of charity, philanthropic work in mental health. I'm exploring stuff, but I really do believe that the right mix of that is going to come together and sort of be almost like laid out. I'm going to give it my attention and energy. I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Look, you can plan your life to a degree, but you certainly cannot plan your love life. That is... Uh -uh. No, 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 no. So with, with work, obviously, it, there's, it's a bit more objective-oriented. Um, and, you know, I know that if I do A, B, C, D, I'll get E. So I'd say that's an area where maybe control is sometimes appropriate, you know? Um, relationships, not at all. No. Not at all. And to be honest, a lot of the people I work with, in terms of stress levels, their stress levels are super high because they're trying to control the uncontrollable. So once you kind of let go of the reins, and I had a massive control pattern for very good reason, but it was there. The, some of the most worthwhile, worthwhile work I've ever done is letting go of those reins and just allowing yourself to open up a little bit more to what's there, not what you think should be there, but actually what's there, you know? And that's, that was a revelation. And it's just so much easier as well, you know, so much less angst. I think that's a really nice um, segue to, you know, well, very nearly the end of, of, of this episode. But before we go, I, I just wonder what, what's next for, for you and for the world? <laughs> So, um, you mean apart from meeting a tall, dark, handsome stranger? <laughs> you, you and me both. Probably um, with yeah. <laughs> so, um, what we've just done is we've, we've moved Breath Guru online uh, for obvious reasons. And um, I've created a kind of a... My idea was to create a kind of a Netflix for breathwork. So, I've spent a lot of time in the studio. Very sophisticated studio I told you about before. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's really just an audio library. And the idea was we've had an app out for a couple of years now. The feedback we were getting was like, we love it, but we'd like a bit more variation in terms of time and content. So that's exactly what we've done. So I've chosen six initial themes. There's 15 minute audios, 30 minute audios, 60 minute audios on uh, embodiment, sleep, anxiety, intuition, power, and heart so basically how long have you got on any given day and what do you want to work with and you've got my dulcet tones talking you through a breath session so that's one of them the other two things we do every week now is 4:30s on sundays we have a group breathe that's live those are super powerful and again it's part of the it's all part of the digital stuff and on mondays we do a beginner's course so there's a lot of new people coming into breath work who don't necessarily have any grounding in it. So I thought I want to really address that. And uh, every Monday now we have a beginner's course. It's a four week program and it gives you just a really solid foundation if you're coming into it with, with zero knowledge. Also just, just quickly before we go, Alan, a very, very short maximum sort of 30 seconds shout out. If there's a key takeaway that you want our listeners to go away with today, what is it? Yeah. Um, explore your breath. Your breath can take you to anywhere you need to go. But the most important thing is it can connect you more deeply with yourself and your body and the planet. Just by focusing down on your feet, doing a little bit of abdominal breathing can make all the difference. If I'm overwhelmed, I take one breath, one hand on the tummy, two hands on the tummy, take a breath through my mouth. And I'm back in my center again no matter how overwhelmed or crazy things might be that day. So use your breath. It's literally right under your nose. Everybody can do this. Do you have lungs? Good, you're in. That's wonderful. Thanks so much, Alan. And I think that's really sound advice. As you say, you know, you can breathe at any time, anywhere. It's free and it's using your own body. And it there you go. a powerful mechanism, I speak from experience. So thank you so much, Alan, for joining us. So welcome. Total pleasure. Pleasure. Really a pleasure. A lot of fun. Been great to talk to you. And thanks for your questions. Really, some questions I haven't been asked before, actually. So thanks for that. That really made me think. And that is a wrap. Thanks for joining us for the very first episode of How Long Have You Got? I don't know about you, but I'm certainly booking the first flight out to Lanzarote for Alan's breathwork retreat. I think we could all use a little R&R post-lockdown. 
Stay tuned for episode two in two weeks' time when we welcome Gavin Ramjan, BBC journalist and sports presenter, to chat about men's identity. How Long Have You Got is hosted by me, Emma Blackmore, and co-produced with B. Pizarro Aparizio. Sound design by Billy Clark, music by The Amazing Parallels, and cover art by Milena DeLuca. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all soon. Thank you.